Hi, I'm Meredith Roden, and I'm the host of the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. This week, we're talking about all things dining with our Metro editor, Leah DeGroat. Leah, I know you had a sit down with a food truck vendor who was very excited to bring his dining experience to students on campus. Can you tell me what is this event? I sat down with Alex Cohen, who's the CEO and founder of the company called 20 Tables, um, which is basically an app-based marketplace that kind of gathers um, different food trucks and restaurants around DC, and they partner with um, 20 Tables to provide, for every meal that they sell, they provide one meal to someone in need. So people who use the app can buy um, meal tickets. So one meal ticket equals like a lunch meal, two meal tickets equals a dinner. Um, And they sell them in bundles of five tickets. And students can now use their G Worlds to buy these tickets on the app. Um, And they can use them at food trucks around DC um, to buy just kind of food from wherever they want. Um, And, but the idea is that they're gonna be having some food trucks in Potomac Square um, on a regular basis where students can come in for lunch or dinner um, and get kind of a more ethnically diverse range of food, um, try out some different food across the district um, and things like that. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about background for this. In the past, students have said that they're not really happy with all of the options. They're looking for more affordable options. They're looking for a little bit more diverse options. How did the university come to partner with this vendor? Alex Cohen uh, approached the university, the GW Dining's um, dining team, um, about a possible partnership here. He said that he had kind of read through some Hatcha articles, kind of knew that there was... um, some issues about food insecurity, dining options here on campus, and kind of saw a good, um, I guess, void to fill with his business. Um, And so conversations, I think, started happening um, a few months ago, um, and now it's kind of coming to fruition. And they're going to be soft launching the program in Potomac Square on Monday, um, and then they're going to do a informal um, launch on Wednesday. Going forward, is there an end date to this insight yet, or do we know how long it's going to last? It seems like it's a permanent addition to the campus. Um, I guess the idea is that there's going to be regularly um, about four food trucks, I think is what they said in our interview, um, in Potomac Square, um, where students can come for lunch and dinner. But they can also use, I think they, like, they can use the app um, out like anywhere in the district as well. Um, there's like some brick and mortar restaurants that are also part of the app um, where students can go as well. And how are they going to collect feedback about the program if this is actually filling the void? What Alex mentioned to me during the um, during our interview is that there's a spot on the app where students actually can email him, um, email 20 Tables, um, and kind of provide um, feedback with the service that they're doing, the, um, I guess their experience with using the G Worlds, using the app. Um, and then I guess GW Dining will also be, I guess, gathering feedback through the next couple of, I guess, months as they're launching this program GW Dining will kind of be keeping track of how many students are using it, do they like it, and things like that. Um, Speaking of feedback, the university is also looking into starting some focus groups on the dining experience at GW. Can you tell us some more information? Next week, uh, the university will be hosting focus groups with, uh, I guess, 8 to 10 students, or 8 to 12 students, um, kind of gathering feedback about the dining plans here. world allotments like dining options like where they're eating um, and things like that and when students sign up for these focus groups they get a free lunch or dinner they're hosting two of them next week um, both on Wednesday and I guess the idea is that the university is kind of gathering 
um, a comprehensive review of the current dining situation at GW to kind of start brainstorming changes that could be made in the next, um, I guess, next year. Yeah. So that's what the dean of the student experience, Sissy Petty, said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I spoke with her. I didn't speak with her. I spoke with her over email. Um, and she said that it's kind of part of this um, longer term plan for dining at GW. And, and what is the end result of this longer term plan? Yeah, it's not super clear right now. I think right now they're kind of in the process of gathering feedback. Earlier this month, they released um, a survey um, that students could complete kind of about both their housing and dining options at GW. Um, and in that survey, they also kind of took note of like where on campus people were getting their meals, um, how much they're spending, and things along those lines. So these focus groups are kind of a bit of an extension of that, kind of just another way of gathering feedback about dining. And are the focus groups next week the only times that students can give feedback, or are there going to be other opportunities? Um, I think the f they're only holding two focus groups next Wednesday right now. Um, students can always email um, GW with their thoughts on dining, um, but for now the focus groups and the survey has been kind of the biggest methods of giving feedback right now. Well, thanks so much for talking to us this So the university president, Thomas LeBlanc, this is something that he's really been focused on in trying to make the university a less transactional place with transactional relationships between employees and faculty and students. And to do that, he's done several things. And the latest is training sessions encouraged for employee and faculty. So can you just take us a step back? This actually happened several weeks ago that these training sessions started. But can you just give us a breakdown of what exactly that is? Yeah, so since the initiative started, a lot of officials, including uh, Thomas LeBlanc, as well as a, a group of administrators, which are called the Culture Leadership Team, have been meeting and working with the Disney Institute to develop what they're calling a new service framework, which includes a few different components, like a new common purpose statement, seven different values, and three service priorities. And so now these trainings this fall are basically debuting that to all the employees at the university. They started in September with the first sessions for any employee that uh, is in a manager role who actually oversees other employees, and those were led by employees of the Disney Institute. Uh, but most recently, the remaining employees of the university have all been encouraged to attend a session either this month, and they will also go into November, and those trainings are being conducted by a new team of what they're calling Our GW Service Ambassadors, which are a group of about 25 faculty and staff um, who have been employed um, to help lead these trainings to all the employees. These have been going on for a while. I know that you've talked to several faculty members about who attended the trainings. So what were their overall impressions? Yeah, overall from faculty, the opinions seem to be rather negative. Um, a lot of faculty told us that they felt that during these trainings, which last about an hour and a half to two hours long, they felt that they were just being lectured at. And they, the word we keep, kept hearing is, um, once again, the idea of shared governance and that many faculty don't, be, they're not, they don't feel that they're being listened to. Uh, and they say it was just another top-down approach to try to change the culture, but that's not actually focusing on the real issues. And as far as the specifics of the training, the individual, uh, the frameworks, the, the values, whatever, did they react well to those? Is that something they connected with at all? 
So I'd say most of the faculty we talk to say that these are the right priorities to be focusing on, but some criticized, even within the trainings themselves, that the that officials, they say, are not living up to these values. So one of the values, for example, is openness, but there's been some concerns in recent weeks from faculty um, with recent administrative decisions that they're not including faculty in the process of making these decisions and that they don't have access to the same data. So in my conversations with faculty, what we've just heard is, yeah, these priorities would be great, but we're not seeing actual change and improvement on them. Or were there any suggestions from faculty members as to what the university could do better in these trainings or what they would like to see if these trainings happened again? So one of the positive things that we heard overall from the faculty that we've talked to is that these trainings were the first time where they were able to sit down with staff from across the university that they have never seen or really been able to engage with. So, you know, uh, the ability for a faculty member to sit down with someone like a groundskeeper here, they say, just to improve that collaboration. And they, they, we heard from faculty that they wish there was a more emphasis on that and gave more time for discussions with people across the university that they don't get to talk to a lot. And so for the people who actually are administrators, or at least who are in the top tier of this culture leadership team, did they see these same issues or did they hear from faculty about them or uh, were they kind of under the impression that this was going well? So what we've heard from members of the culture leadership team, which is overseeing the entire initiative, including these trainings, they, they have admitted that they have seen some mixed reactions. Now, it was interesting that we heard from one member of the culture leadership team, Marie Price, told me that they've actually seen a, a more positive reaction from staff rather than faculty. And she attributed that to, you know, faculty might be more independent in their work and their research and their classes, but someone like a staff member might have more collaboration and work across different sectors of the university. So they might be more receptive to this initiative at first. But we've also heard is these trainings are really just a first step and that they believe that some faculty might not be on board now, but as we go through in these trainings and beyond, they're hopeful that uh, we'll see more faculty get on board with the overall initiative. And that's an interesting point because this really only has been going on since President LeBlanc got here two years ago. Right. What I've heard is that these we've had some work teams that have been working on different initiatives as part of the, the overall culture initiative. We have this new team of service ambassadors doing these trainings. And this is really just the, the debut of the service framework, but then it's you know time to get to work and actually put these values into action. Thank you so much, Zach. Thanks for having me. It is officially spooky season, so we're here with our culture editor, Sydney Lee, to talk about how you can get in the mood of Halloween. First up, what about costumes? I haven't exactly nailed mine down. Do you have any suggestions for something easy, something fast? Yeah, definitely. So we wanted to focus on costumes you could find at a thrift store. So a big staple that's always at thrift stores are flannels. So one of our suggestions is to get a flannel and then throw on a beanie, maybe a pair of jeans, and you can be a lumberjack. What about for someone who wants to be a little bit fancier? Well, for a fancier costume, you could be Audrey Hepburn in Breakfast at Tiffany's. All you need to do is find a nice black dress. There's got to be black dresses all over the thrift stores, and then you pair it with some pearls and put your hair in a nice updo and boom, you're Audrey Hepburn. Costume jewelry pearls. Yeah, yeah costume jewelry. I <laughs> would not recommend wearing your nice vintage pearls. After you've got your costume together, you probably want to go out, maybe go grab a drink somewhere. Are there any fun pop-up bars that you found? Yeah, so there's actually a lot of pop-up bars around the district, but one of them that looks super cool 
is the drink company's Pub Grimm. So it's all things Grimm Fairy Tales, Hansel and Gretel, Rapunzel. What kind of drinks are they offering? So one of the drinks they're offering is called the Ferris Apple, which is made with whiskey, maple, apple cider, vinegar, and bitters. Is there a dress code to get in? Like, do you have to be in costume? No, you don't have to be in costume, but definitely recommended. (laughs) And also, to complete your night, maybe you want to go see a show or something like that. I know Rocky Horror is in its 25th year here at GW. Are they doing anything special for the occasion? Yeah, so this is actually the first time that their opening night is on Halloween night. So you can go to your bar and then go see the show on Halloween night. And they're inviting all the alumni from previous productions back to see the show. So they're expecting about 50 alum to be there. And they're going to do some fun new things with prop bags. So you can buy one for $3 at the door and then use it as you interact with the cast. Do I even want to know what's in the prop bag? So in there, there's stuff like newspaper, glow sticks, nitrile gloves, a noisemaker, party hat, toilet paper, and a list of call lines so you can reference them. How long is the show running for and what time is it starting every night? So on Halloween, it starts at 9 and then the second show will be the following day at midnight. And then the last show is Saturday, November 2nd at 9 p.m. Well, thank you so much, Sydney. Thanks for having me. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by Meredith Roten and features culture editor Sydney Lee. Getting to the Bottom of It is produced by podcast host Meredith Roten, podcast producer Jacob Holvag, and photo editor Ariel Bader.